listening to the artist podcast. Where artists define what art is. How do you feel hearing yourself? It's different. It's different? What is it different, man? But it's good. It's good? good. Yeah, man. All right. Hello, everybody. This is the fourth episode of the Artist Podcast, where artists define what art is. Our special guest today is Pierre Lewis. He's a poet. He's a man of many words, deep, impactful words. He has a great story. And Mr. Pierre, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, At the risk of being redundant, my name is Pierre Lewis, originally from Washington, D.C., black man struggling to overcome adversity and the challenges of daily life. Um, Spent a lot of years in prison, um, but most of my problems were self-induced. I don't necessarily uh, blame other people for my bad decisions and choices. Right now I'm trying to rebound and create a life for myself, pick up the shattered pieces and, you know, tape them back together and Keep moving forward. Right on, Mr. Pierre. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so being that this 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 podcast is called the Art Is Podcast, what is art to you? Uh, art to me is an expression of and the feelings and the things that I carry in my heart that words doesn't necessarily articulate, you know, um, I write from a platform of convictions and a lot of times I feel the way I feel and the rationale for my feelings will come later, you know what I mean? So that's what art is to me, just an expression of those innermost feelings that words sometimes don't capture. And being words... um are you currently working on anything poetry wise oh. creative wise creative well currently I'm working on a <clears throat> documentary about homeless homelessness the the dynamics of homelessness you know um, the causes and effects and the social perspective of conflict theory and social stratifications that um, put people in various classes you know why homelessness? Well, being from D.C., I'm no stranger to homelessness. But when I came out of prison after doing 14 and a half years in federal prison um, and seeing the extent of homelessness in L.A., it just blew me away, you know. Um, I've never seen squalor and desperate people in such magnitude. So that made me, you know, I've always been an advocate of social justice. So, you know, that made me uh, just wanted to get in where I fit in and do my part. Have you started a documentary yet? Yes, I have started the documentary. I have uh, some great footage and I wrote a poem about homelessness. And, you know, you have to tow a fine line because... A lot of the people that live on the street feel as if they're being exploited, you know. Um, But on the other hand, I think society makes it easy for them to be homeless. 
I heard the mayor gave him tents. You know, I didn't know where he thought that they were going to take the tents because there's no rural area other than the streets of downtown L.A. They literally live on the sidewalks in tents. And, you know, you have various organizations that feed them, that clothe them. So, um, in a sense, they make their situation normal lives. You know, the marginalized people um, and the adverse circumstances under which they live are somewhat normalized, you know. In a sense, what I'm saying is, yeah. it's glad that you have people who are benevolent and have empathy and come down there and feed the homeless, but do you do them good or does it have an adverse effect on them and cause them to have a lackadaisical attitude about changing their situation? Does that make sense? No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Because I, I feel like a lot of, that's what happens like in third world countries where, where you know, natural disasters happen. I, I think sometimes people do it out of kindness of good heart to donate a dollar, donate $2. Sometimes even go there, but sometimes it, it they're, they're, there's another reason for, you know, organizations, um, individuals, companies, corporations to be helping these individuals. And I think the human gets lost in all, all of it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you said you were incarcerated. Did you feel like did that also as well happen where like, you feel like having formerly been incarcerated or, or when you're incarcerated that they also looked at you as, as something else? Well, <clears throat> Yes, answer your question one word, yes. For better or for worse, my lifestyle in the streets and society prepared me for prison. It was a natural transition, you know, almost like a rite of passage. I'm sure you heard that expression before. And, um, you know, coming out of prison after serving 14 and a half years, um, I think that the system is designed for me to fail. You know, um, I've been out for a little more than a year, a few weeks more than a year, and um, it's been a constant struggle, um, but I'm steadfast in my belief that, you know, I have what it takes to be successful, you know, and and to just, um, to just grow and take advantage. Since I've been out, I've taken advantage of every re-entry program that I could find, you know, because I understood that I needed help, I needed assistance, you know, I needed guidance, and um, every little bit helps. Your words, your writing, um, now you're transcending that message into video, you know, into, into images. Um, I want to know, like, when was it that you first started writing? And, like, what drew you to write, you know? Well, my writing ability is inherent. My father is a writer. Um, he's a renowned songwriter, you know. Um, he has, like, four number one hits. And um, I started writing, you know, because I couldn't talk. You know, I couldn't articulate what I felt inside, so... I picked up a pen one day and started writing a poem 
And when I finished, I saw the promise in that poem, and that was in 1978, so I've been writing ever since, you know, um, I'm a man of many talents, I'm also working on a screenplay, and um, I wrote a small poetry book, self-published a small poetry book before I came home from prison, so, you know, I'm just trying to do the backstroke until I can swim, you know? Just stay afloat okay. without sinking. Without sinking. And, and that poetry book you wrote, um, can you describe it? Can you can give us the process of, of it, how, how it happened? Um, and, and, oh, and at the end, can you like give us a, a little piece of, of something you've written? Of course I can. Um, I wanted to see the fruits of my labors. And um, I think the gem in my small publication is my preface. And my preface is an open letter to at-risk youth, explaining to them that everything that glitters isn't gold. And even though you may be successful temporarily by breaking the law that it won't last forever, you know, and eventually, you know, you'll end up like me and where I am. You know, there's only two places that a life of crime will lead you, in prison or death. Actually, I think prison saved me from death, you know, so um, that was the impetus for my choice of creating the book, you know, ultimately my goal is to work with at-risk youth, the mental at-risk youth, you know, um, <clears throat> to try to change the tra trajectory of their lives, you know, so you got to think, I started stealing when I was six, I started smoking weed and drinking at eight, at 15 I was strung out on heroin, and I was in and out of juvenile institutions before I graduated and went to a penitentiary. So, um, the poem I want to recite is called Dear Mama. And it says, Dear Mama, I just wanted you to know that I understood too much too soon in life. I understood that at 16 you were literally a baby raising babies and that we were growing up together. I understood that you, Renee, and I were all we had. I didn't blame you when we were hungry. I didn't blame you when we were cold. We sat in front of the oven for heat, and you created a whistling game with saltine crackers to keep us full and distracted. I remember when you went back to school and got your GED. We were proud of you. You went from Hex Warehouse to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and though we still live from paycheck to paycheck, Somehow, you wrestled the American dream from a ghetto nightmare. You provided us with all the things that we needed in order to succeed in life. You gave us examples of how our struggle forced in you. Patience, understanding, selflessness, tenacity, hope, and foresight. You didn't look around, you looked ahead. I understood and understand that struggle is the true architect of character. The character you epitomize. It's called motherhood. Damn, <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. That's beautiful. Have you have you recited that to your to your mom? Oh yeah, of course. And she cried. 
She cried, but you know, my mother was a baby raising babies. She was 16 years old with two kids, a middle school dropout, and um, sometimes she had to choose between feeding us and paying rent, you know, so uh, life was what it was, and <clears throat> I understand that um, she did the best she could. In fact, she did an admirable job, and you know, it saddens me to know that I took her through the things that I took her through. You know, I got in trouble not because my my mother didn't love me, but because I didn't have the proper supervision. You know, I was what you call the latchkey kid. My sister and I, you know, when we got up to go to school, my mother was already gone to work and we came home to an empty house. So I had ample opportunity to run wild in the streets and then get in trouble. And you know, that's what I did. Have you written about your childhood? Hmm? Have you written about your childhood? Um, in spots, you know. Uh, sometimes, you know, the poems that I write will incorporate some of the circumstances that I went through as a child, you know, but no, not just totally straight, you know, about my childhood, but So what so what do you write about? Like what what, what inspires you to write? Um things that touch my heart, you know, of course I write about love, I write about the struggle, you know, um I write about conflict, you know, um adversity, hope, um and promise. Why why promise? Well, promise and hope are synonymous, you know. If there's no promise, if you can't close your eyes and at least imagine a better day, a brighter day, then you'll have no hope, you know, so I just believe in um I believe in second chances, and I believe in my potential. You know, um, my biggest obstacle sometimes is with me. You know, um, if history is any indication, sometimes I'll make poor decisions. You know, so I have to stay on top of my game and on top of me in order to make sure I stay focused and keep moving forward. Since I've been out of prison, um, when I was in the halfway house, I had a choice. Either work in the warehouse or construction or go to school. I was involved with this um, reentry program called PV Jobs, and they had a hatch program which directed me to school. I literally went from convict to college student. I took a college, I came to the halfway house in June of 2019. I took a college prep course in July, and in August, I started school at Los Angeles City College. You know, um, my major is addiction studies. I like to be a drug counselor, and um, I maintain the 4.0 GPA. So um, I proved to myself that I could do it. That's actually where where I met you, Pierre, man. And 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 when I met you from right from the jump, I knew you have power in those words. You know, because they come 
with so much lived life, you know, and and I see you and I, and, and and from you know talking to you previously, like I, I hear snippets of your your story and I also hear snip like I've read snippets of your story through poetry, um, but I'm excited about like what, what what the future holds, you know, and I feel that for me art, true art, people connect with it because the person making the art is honest in their process and is honest in the delivery and is honest in with their work because they're putting their heart and their soul into whatever it be a song it be a painting it be whatever it is and I feel like you know your 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 poetry hits on many aspects you know and and what and and when I of life and of struggle and of pain and of you know overcoming you know things there's two writers that they always compare, like Hemingway and, and Faulkner. They mm-hmm. say, like, Faulkner, he elaborate words, long sentences. But Hemingway, the part in Hemingway, he didn't do that. He he kept it simple. He kept it simple. And I feel, like, do you want to talk about that with your writing? Like, you know, you, I feel like you keep it simple for everyone to understand. Yes. And, you know, I'm big with that. I don't write abstract poetry. I don't think a person should have to work to understand my work. You know, um, so I try to keep it contemporary and use uh, and use um, ordinary vernacular, you know, to keep people connected and to to kind of draw that straight line from point A to B. You know, my poems generally tell a story. You know, there's a start, there's a middle, and there's a finish. I like to be concise and have continuity, you know, um, because it helps the reader. I think the reader appreciates that. And for, and for those that aren't readers, is there any other poem you would like to share with oh, us? No, I have many. Yes, um, I want to recite this poem called "Black Snowflake," right? And um, to give a brief bio, I was getting ready to start trial for murder friend of mine came to see me and she said baby I'm scared I can't sleep I can't eat I can't drive I can't think she said I'm a nervous wreck and then she looked at me sideways and said I wish I could be like you you're so brave and courageous and I admire you for your strength and your resilience so when I went back to my cell after the visit I wrote the poem Black Snowflake and it says I never meant to shatter or vandalize your pristine image of me. Above all, I want to say that I espouse the truth. Some days I am weak and don't want to continue. Every hour is a struggle and sometimes I feel what's the use. Time has blurred and merged together. Months and years conspire to form a collage. Surrounded by madmen and misfits of either stone or feathers, I retreat into myself to deflect the barrage. I love you for a multitude of reasons. Yes, I'm afraid some of which you have never heard. Love can oftentimes be an abstract entity, defying conventional wisdom, logic, or even spoken words. We live in this world of constant confusion, alphabetical viruses, bullshit, and disease, full-blown. The world is a ghetto, or is that just another dysfunctional conclusion? It's our demise from fate or ramifications of all assault thrown. Every night in my cage on bended knees I pray 
Forgive me my indiscretions and mistakes. Do I damage the image because in truth, I am afraid. Instead of tears, I said these black snowflakes. Man, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it. Let the let the listeners, you know, say what they think. Like, you know, please comment. Please let Mr. Pierre know what 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 you know you guys think. Cause I think our poetry is great. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I think it because it, 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 it the whole abstraction. I, I've never been too much of a big fan of like abstract poetry. It's beautiful in its way, but it's just not my my cup of tea. You know. Um, but what? So so as a writer, what 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 challenges do you do you face? Um, sometimes I get writer's block, you know, and, um, mentally, I'm just not able to connect the dots. Um, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with, um, too many things going on at one time, so I can't focus, you know, um, I can't write what I don't feel. Know, so if my feelings are scattered, you know, I'm I'm not able to focus, you know. But uh, when I do focus, you know, I uh, I'm committed to what I do. Um, I believe in my potential, and I know that if I am true to art, art will be true to me. That you always have that feeling that you that art would be true to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that way. Um, I always felt that I had to believe in myself, keep my eyes on the prize, and constantly revamp and restructure my perspectives in order to see my work transform into something beautiful. You know, so I'm always looking for different avenues to enhance what I do. You know, and 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 I had a question for you. Like, you know, you were you were incarcerated for for those number of years. Was writing for you something to escape, elevate yourself, or to just entertain yourself? Oh, a combination of all of them, but to escape. You know, when I needed to escape, I went to writing. When I needed to be entertained, I went to writing. When I needed to be elevated and enlightened, I went to writing. You know, so um, writing has served a number of purposes for me. You know, um, that's my go-to place, you know, and... When I'm there, I feel like MC Hammer. You can't touch this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, writing is my everything. You know, I don't think I can live metaphorically without a pen and a piece of paper. You know, it's something that I have to have. So you, you constantly carry a, a pen and a piece of paper with you? Most times. Most times? Yeah. All right. And you are also... Not just the man of words. You're also a boxer. I used to. I used to fight. You used to fight. Okay. Yeah. So what? What is? What is more powerful than the, the sword or the or the pen? It depends on the form. You 
know, um, Niccolo Machiavelli said there's two white ways of fighting. One is the way of man, the other is the way of the beast. So, depends on which form you're in, you know. Is there any, any, any writers you look to for inspiration? Um... It's a lot of writers that I have admired. Um, Park being one of them, you know. Uh, his rhyme schemes was out of his world, so, um, and the contents and context of what he produced, right? Uh, I don't think there'll ever be another like him, you know. Okay. What's, what was the most difficult part of, of your life here? Uh, it's still evolving, so, you know, I truly believe this struggle is the true architect of character, you know, and um, despite what life throws at me, curveball, sinker, slider, fastball, whatever, you know, um, I have to be ready to hit that pitch, you know. So, I expect to struggle on a daily basis, you know, um, extrinsically and intrinsically, you know, I expect to, to struggle. But um, I just have to be secure in the knowledge that as long as I'm steadfast in my belief in me and my potential and a higher power, things will get better. So so have you ever, and you're just talking about a higher power, have you ever felt that you, that that higher power has communicated with you through your words? Oh, um, a higher power has communicated and does communicate with me on a daily basis, you know. Um, I'm guided by it. Okay. Can you talk to us more a little bit about your, your, your documentary that you're making? Um, yes, I can. The homeless situation has occurred not by chance, but by design. I believe that LA's homeless situation or homeless population or most populous homeless population is called Skid Row. But there's a Skid Row in every city, in every state, in these United States, you know. And I just don't think it's by chance that, you know, the situation is as dire as it is. I think it's by design. Um, if you're asking me, do I have the answers? Of course not. You know, I really don't. Um, and I truly believe that it'll get worse before it gets better. You know, um, you know, we live in a system of free enterprise, and in some respects. It's good, but in other respects, maybe socialist socialism would 
I think it needs to be a balance of the two, you know. Um, it's tough. And what do you what do you hope to gain from you know you and 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 the viewers from your documentary? Um, I just hope to gain and to impart an understanding that there's more to this than meets the eye, you know. And I think the general consensus is that people who are homeless either want to be homeless or that they're homeless due to a substance use disorder, which is not necessarily true. In the 1980s, Ronald Reagan defunded the mental health um, programs, and they literally put those people out of institutions onto the street, you know. And if you go where there is any congregation of homelessness, of homeless people, then you'll see people who obviously suffer from mental instabilities and you don't need a PhD you know to figure that out so um, I don't have the answer and um, you've written a poem you recited once about just that yeah um, would you be? Would you care to to share it? Yeah, it's called Paradise Lost, you know. And I called my documentary Paradise Lost because, you know, you have people from uh, Central America that walks from Guatemala, El Salvador, to these shores, you know, to try to come to this country just to better their life, you know. All of them not rapists and thieves and murderers. You know, but, um, and you had Cubans, you know, who will throw a raft in the Atlantic Ocean and try to pedal to the United States, you know, to better their life. And um, so that represents paradise. But when you go to Skid Row and look at the suffering and, you know, the lack of hope, and that's paradise lost. Okay, so it says... Why do people have to live like this? Every stretch of the sidewalk is a petri dish. Every face has a story, and each lit me a twist. Do they ever take the time to stop and reminisce? Of families coming together to celebrate holidays, birthday cakes, Christmas trees, and cartoon PJs. Of tag, hide and seek, and maybe Simon said that they would stumble and mumble, classified as living dead. Her sign read sex for food, but she had no takers. She tried the butcher, the baker, and even the homeless maker. Alone and ashamed, her pain would not abate. So to ease her troubled mind, she started to self-medicate. One day, during her trek, she came across a dealer's stash. She knew no moderation. God closed her eyes, and she found peace at last. In this land of free enterprise, Skid Road depicts the cost. Some say it's all milk and honey, but for others, paradise lost. Deep, man. Did you write that in Skid Row, or were you worried like how? What was I wrote that in my bro. <laughs> you wrote that, in my bro? and so how was it? You just like you 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 had just passed by Skid Row, or what? What? Because like, um, I want to get into like that. That as a writer myself, you know, I'm interested in people's process of mm-hmm. how they write and what inspires them and, and, and what what it is, you know. So how was that? 
you know, um, I go to Skid Row from time to time and just take in the perspective, you know. Um, I see people and I look at them and I know that behind each person there's a story, you know, and um, I truly believe that people aren't homeless because they choose to be, you know. Um, there's an underlying story behind each situation and um, it's been normalized and the people have been marginalized and um, it's hopeless. You know, it's a hopeless situation, you know. It fills me with despair to see people, you know, laying on the sidewalk, not on cardboard, but actually on the sidewalk, you know. Um, I was downtown yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I saw a guy with no shoes on, and his feet looked like asphalt, and I immediately started looking around for a shoe store where I can at least buy him a pair of slippers or something, you know. But when I said something to him, I can tell that he was mentally unstable. Unstable, you know, um, and he never responded to me. But um, that's the empathy in me, you know. Um, I do what I can when I can, you know. And um, that's very, that's, that's, People, people should do more, you know, but people can only do what they can. And sometimes that goes a long, long way. It's a shame, like you're talking about, you know, Ronald Reagan having to cut all those programs, you know, because we're still feeling the effects of his decision mm -hmm. 30 years ago, 30-some years ago. You Closer know, to 40. 40, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. ironically, ironically, Ronald Reagan suffered from a debilitating mental disease. He did. Poetic justice. Poetic justice, yeah. Damn. It's crazy how the, the world and the universe works, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, called, so it's called karma. Karma, yeah. And, 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 you know, just easily as you can be in your glory, you can easily fall from it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, is there I always ask all my guests I've always asked this like if you could give advice to your I would, I, and I want to ask to your younger self and yourself as a writer what advice would you give to yourself my younger self I would say simply understand that in its infinite wisdom the powers that be, the creator gave us two ears and one mouth so we should listen twice as much as we speak and be willing to take instruction from those who have experiential knowledge about life. You know, we're not born with uh, an instruction manual. You know, um, we learn through trial and error unless we are open to 
taking instruction from our elders and the people who have lived before us and been through similar situations. What I would tell myself as a writer is never stop trying to perfect what you do, you know, and devote time to your craft and the art because if you're good to the art, the art will be good to you. You know, for example, I use my father as a prime example. My father never wanted to be anything other than a writer. You know, um, he wrote this song for the Silvers, Boogie Fever and Hotline, that were both number one hits. He wrote Heaven Must Be Missing the Angel for Tavares, and he wrote Back Down Memory Lane for Minnie Rippleton, right? Four renowned songs, and um, he let nothing or no one deter him from his goal, you know? He has a middle school education, you know, but um, each time I talk to him, he imparts so much wisdom you know, and he's uh, a living example of being steadfast in his belief that he could do what he did. Uh, and is there any advice you would want to give the listener? Um, I just appreciate your time. Um, thanks for tuning in. If you ever see me anywhere, I'm approachable, so say hey. <laughs> there you go. Once again, thank you, Mr. Pierre, for, for being here with us at the Artist Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please drop some comments. You know, Mr. Pierre will read them. I'm going to put his links, his handles, so you can see him on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, and, you know, send him a message so you can tell you more about the documentary. All right? Until next time, let's take care. Bye.